number one, I met Clifford Carnicum, the independent scientist who was very involved in collecting precipitation from passing of these jets, leaving long trails, which because he was a scientist, a chemist and physicist, he recognized that the trails left were not contrails, were not condensation trails. They had a chemical signature to them. So he began collecting precipitation in the mid-90s, doing all the things that scientific technique require. During that period, I met him. One of those life-changing moments where you say, oh, it's just a coincidence. Wow, this is amazing this happened. Well, yeah, I met him and we started talking about what he was finding. I had a second major in undergrad college, which was biology. So I loved anything biological. That began my studies on an experimental, experiential level. We looked at my blood. We drew my blood and looked at it under a microscope. I actually saw the pathogens that he was discovering buried in what looked to be like fibers. They were sucking the iron out of my hemoglobin. We had about maybe just two or three dozen people that we were drawing blood from and looking at under the microscope. Our assumption was that whatever was coming from those jets was also biological. Meanwhile, across the United States in various places, people were seeing actual clots of erythrocytes, which is red blood cells, red blood cell tissue dropping from the sky and on their cars in the morning. This would have been in the 90s and the early 2000s. The U.S. government was engaged in experimentation of some sort. I had lived in England for a few years just before this. I was asked by a publisher I had done some editing for. He wondered if I could write a book on chemtrails. I decided to do it because of my friendship with Clifford. I thought, well, Clifford will help me. He'll have my back. That's what I did. I wrote the first book. It was published in 2014. It's called Chemtrails, Harp, and the Full Spectrum Dominance of Planet Earth. That book gave birth to yet another book because the deeper in you go to this, the more you begin to discover various very high national security issues that, yes, you can find them on the internet if you know what you're looking for. But most people, of course, don't think about these things. And so what was surprising was that the military had really left a trail of breadcrumbs for somebody like me. It was in this paper and that paper and this conference and this footnote. It was just scattered all over. You had to be obsessive, which I am as a researcher, and you had to have a talent for research to know the difference between disinformation, misinformation, and information. I qualified for all of those because in grad school, I did my thesis on an historian named Collingwood, who was British, and he had a very unique technique by which he did history. His idea was, well, we all know that history is done by 
the winners, and therefore they're changing the real history. They're omitting some things. The historian can't just go from documentation. The historian has to go from patterns of what he called the third thing, that things might have been changed, and you have to be alert and aware of that and sort of begin to do an inductive technique instead of just deductive where you're figuring out, oh, okay, so why would they have taken that out? And what did they take out? And what bearing does it have on the history of this particular subject? So that sort of thing. I had been well prepared by having studied this amazing man's technique of doing history. So I applied it to doing national security science that I was finding on the web. Once I got into the astrophysics, the plasma physics, and I had Clifford at my back to advise me and clarify things, and then I slowly drew a few other scientists who were maverick and had pretty much abandoned the Einsteinian, Newtonian physics and were exploring the electric universe, were exploring quantum physics. I had people to go to when I would get stuck on something that I really didn't know much about. That second book came out of the first book. The first book I call Meat and Potatoes. That's where you go to find out what the chemtrail program is, what it has to do with ionospheric heaters like the High Frequency Active Aurora Research Project or HARP up in Gakona, Alaska. I also broke down the major patent that shows why we were in the ionosphere, how we were going to control it. I proved all that. And I also had a chapter in there about what Clifford Carnicum was finding regarding the Morgellons, what is now known as Morgellons pathogen. It's a good meat and potatoes book. I prove that Fukushima was a harp operation. I prove that Hurricane Katrina and Sandy were harp operations. I explain how it's done, etc. So it's a good basic manual. But what happened, the second book, because of a guy who had worked on harp and 250 or so other military installations for ionosphere heaters and radars and things named Billy Hayes, he's called the harp man. And they're now trying to erase that from the web, I might add. They're trying to erase Billy's legacy because he's become so well-known in this movement among people like me. Billy heard me on Coast to Coast Radio one night. I was explaining what I had in that first book. And he's the one who contacted me and said, great job on the first book, but let me tell you, there's a whole other thing that is coming out of it now, and it's way bigger. Billy began to coach me and tutor me on how to look for the things that I needed to look for in order to understand what was being formed. And that's how the second book, entitled Under an Ionized Sky, From Chemtrails to Space Fence Lockdown, that's how it was birthed. I did a lot of radio shows to start letting people know about this. It had to do immediately with the Wi-Fiing of the world, the wireless technology that they thrust upon us. The cell phones came out, and suddenly we're all just buried in an entire environment that has been weaponized through chemical means, 
And that would include the aluminum, barium, strontium, magnesium, chromium, all these things that are being dumped along with nanotechnology sensors that are two-way radio frequency devices that are on a minute and nanoscale. One nano equals one billionth of a meter, just to give you an idea. How we're breathing all these in, we're breathing in other nanobots that are also computerized and also relaying information and receiving programming right inside our bodies because we're breathing it all in. The problem with the nano size compared to the micron size is that the nano size of this technology can easily penetrate the blood brain barrier. So it's in our brain. It's in our brain, it's in our bodies, and nobody knows about it. So this was the huge aha I had. But I spent the book primarily laying out for people what the towers, what the cell towers are really doing, and what fiber optic cable is really doing, and what radar installations are really up to. That book has been out since 2018. The final piece for me, for my job, was the synthetic biology piece. That's what I'm writing now. I'll be done and hopefully have it out by fall. It's just amazing to me that while I'm writing this, the entire world is locked down under the fear of a virus, which is a part of what I'm writing about. I'm writing about how we are moving from molecular biology to digital biology in the name of transhumanism, a very different cyborg-type human that is in the making and how the whole medical industry is dedicated to it, whether they know it or not, how the entire pharmaceutical industry is dedicated to it, and they certainly know the secret space program that Catherine Austin Fitz talks about. All of this is completely evident to me now. Now I'm really concentrating on the very tiny world, the nano world, so that I can prepare people for understanding how this all works in a wireless world. The wirelessness, just as the 5G in Wuhan played a very major role, and you can tell that because right away, YouTube and Facebook banned anyone from even discussing the 5G aspect of Wuhan. This correlation between ionizing the atmosphere laying all these chemical trails, it's still going on, building a wireless world that everybody's dependent on for their convenience and comfort and entertainment, and its role now in moving biology to a digital biology whereby they can actually send you a disease signature electromagnetically and give you whatever disease they want. That's the ultimate of the power this geoengineering piece that most people think is just about the weather. No, it's not just about the weather. That's the beginning to control the atmosphere. Absolutely. What comes out of it are seven basic operations, and I'm going to read them now. We don't have to go into all of them, but I want to read them so you understand how it's so important to read. I wish I could say books like mine, but unfortunately, my book 
the Under an Ionized Sky, is the only book that exists at this point, to my knowledge, that penetrates chemically and through nanotechnology into the real deep parts of this geoengineering program. So the other six components besides weather engineering are chemical electromagnetic, those two go together, planetary geophysical, those two go together, directed energy, that's a weapon system, surveillance neural weapons, those two go together, digital biology, nanotechnology, and transhumanism, those three go together. And finally, the cloaking and obscuration of exotic propulsion craft, plus detection of exotic plasma life forms. All of these seven operational categories are what the secret space program, as Catherine Austin Fitz has called it, is all about. Last, I remember her saying that at first it was that $21 trillion was missing from the American budget. But now I believe it's up to $60 trillion that has been discovered through really looking through the books and holding departments accountable. So at least $60 trillion of American taxpayer money, that's not even counting the black budget of human trafficking, drug operations that the CIA has been dedicated to for the entire time of its existence. That's not counting any of that. So this program of full spectrum dominance over planet Earth is definitely the biggest elephant in the living room, along with quite a few other elephants that are interconnected, like vaccines. Vaccines are connected to this. GMO foods are connected to this. Every program that someone is willing to spend all their time trying to defeat such as electromagnetic frequency, 5G, the Internet of Things, they're all connected to the geoengineering piece. We have had geoengineering programs for two decades. Our skies have been loaded with these chemical trails for over two decades so far. Many of the illnesses, that's what's enriched the coffers of the medical industry, all the so-called new autoimmune conditions, chronic fatigue, the rise of autism and Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, you name it. All of that is connected to these programs that the military-industrial intelligence complex, and I should add banking to that as well, but gosh, it's already long enough. All of that is certainly tied in with the banking industry that is the real crux of anything that you've heard about the Illuminati, the global elites, the Satanists, whatever you want to call the cadre of influences that are involved in this takeover of planet Earth and the human being. They're all engaged around this absolute necessity of full-spectrum dominance over the planet. This has to be done in order to go further into space exploration, in order to possibly even think of an empire that could exist beyond the planet, all the way to the solar system and then the galaxy. 
we are not the people sitting in the living room with trillionaires, people who have been born into families that have dedicated everything for generations to the day when there would come a full spectrum dominance over planet Earth and the human being, and particularly the human soul. That's why this piece, it has to be seen for what it is, not just in part over here on the edge. Oh, yeah, there's some weather engineering going on. No, no, this is much, much larger and is very, very well-funded, extremely well-funded. I mean, it's like Christmas every day for these programs. The Morgellons piece, again, to remember Clifford Carnicum in the late 90s collecting precipitation from rainfall, dew, but also from his HEPA filter that was catching particles. And when he began to see the number of fibers, he then saw how tiny they were and correlated it with what he might be breathing. So he developed the red wine test at that point, which I don't think he's still doing. I don't know. We're still good friends, but we haven't discussed that. You brush your teeth really well, clean your mouth out really well. Then you take a mouthful of red wine and slosh it around for about five minutes and then spit it into a sterilized clean jar or dish. And then you kind of look at it once everything kind of settles. You may see some motion because these fibers are very alive. They are not a natural fiber at all. They have various parts, and that's what Clifford, his papers go into, is his years, years he spent breaking into that fibrous outer shell to discover four other parts to the pathogen that had been obviously genetically engineered. This was not something from nature. That pathogen, in my opinion, was created to be the trailblazer for all of these nanosensors, nanobots, etc., that are now coming down by the trillion daily that we are breathing in. And I think you can, if you have a good microscope, you might want to take a look at some of this. If you have dust on your mantle or on your desk for several days, you might want to collect some of it and lay it out on a slide and take a look to see how many fibers are coming down. Now, are they all Morgellons? Not necessarily. That was a long time ago that Morgellons began. That was in the 90s it began. It's still going on, absolutely. I'm sure that there are many other experimental pathogens that have been, at least in part, genetically engineered that are coming down and we're breathing in as well. So when the Morgellons goes in, because again, it's on a nanoscale, it can be categorized as a nanoparticle because that's its size. A nano is one billionth of a meter. It goes beyond your blood-brain barrier, goes into your brain, and it's throughout your body and it finds places to be. Or it's communicated with by what I call the laptop boys, the guys on laptops sipping organic orange juice, directing these nanobots in people's bodies and brains, it might be directed to a particular organ or a 
particular place in the body. Or it might be allowed to lie dormant, which I think is the condition of most of us at this point. I'm not sure that if they wire the Earth for 5G along with the Elon Musk satellites, I'm not sure that they'll remain dormant if at some point someone chooses to activate them in particular geographic areas, particular ethnic groups, particular gender groups, however it works. But one thing I know, it's highly organized. The people who have the Morgellons outbreaks that are really awful looking sores, look a little bit like staph, but messier. And then they have those fibers coming out of them in basically three colors. I can't remember. I think it's black, white, and red. Those fibers are very sensitive to electromagnetic devices, such as a toaster oven or a cell phone. They'll go nuts if you can see them, if they're sticking their heads out of your body. They'll just start writhing in great ecstasy over the electromagnetic current that they're picking up on, the electromagnetic fields. So that's where it's coming out. And why is it coming out in that person and not another person? Well, I don't know if it's because it's been activated in that person remotely or if it's activated by the lapse of the immune system in that person. I don't know. I don't know that answer yet. The Morgellons itself, the most concerning element of it is not that it sticks its little wiry heads out of lesions, but that it reproduces by a sort of chain reaction duplication, forming an entire network inside our bodies. I personally have seen mine. I don't have the outbreaks now, but I did have an outbreak at one point. So I was able to watch how it worked as it took over the calves of my legs. I was able to see after it diminished after just a few weeks and completely disappeared, actually. And there weren't lesions. They were little red dots with little crystals in them because I could pull the crystals out and look at them under my microscope. The crystals themselves were conductive. And then we all know I've breathed in aluminum, barium, strontium, etc. on a nanoscale, just like everyone else has. And those are all highly conductive as well. It's as if somebody who designed this system of the Morgellons, along with the conductive metals that we have in our bodies, is attempting to turn us into radio transmitters or transceivers. That would be my guess as to what is going on. And then they have the option to remotely trigger certain people and not other people. That would be something I would vote for as well. Eventually, when my outbreak ended, under my skin, I could see a network right through my skin. And when I say that, I mean like a grid, a grid pattern that is certainly not my body. Now I can't see it anymore, so I assume it has settled into my body. I don't know how one body would compare with another because, to my knowledge, the CDC has finally admitted that there is a condition called Morgellons. They like to maintain that it's just a skin disease, but it's not a skin disease. It's an entire systemic technology that was begun in the 90s 
and that I assume all of us still have dormant in us at the very least, and possibly other things as well now. It sounds awful, it sounds scary, but we've had parasites and flora and fauna, bacteria in our intestinal, in our gut. We've had tiny entities in us. It goes with the territory of being a human being living in a body. The only unique thing here is that this is really turning us into, attempting to turn us into, or at least head us in the direction of being a cyborg, a not quite natural being, a being with cybernetic technology in us that can be utilized remotely by satellite, by the laptop boys, utilizing the cell towers near one's house, the 60 hertz in the walls, the Internet of Things. This is the new part of the story of our relationship with the microbe world. We need to understand how it works in order to better defend ourselves and understand things so that we don't fall prey to experts that we should not trust at all. And it is amazing how people will suddenly shift over once an authority figure like the New York Times or the Washington Post or CBS or NBC says, oh yeah, we have 10 new types of clouds and now we're going to be geoengineering. There'll be a slight cost, but no big deal. And everybody just sort of, okay, it's really phenomenal. As far as how they're going to possibly normalize these nanoparticles, that in itself, because once you start to research it, Michael, as I have done for this book I'm writing, it's in everything. It's in everything, nanoparticles, from cosmetics to new cars to, I actually can't think of anything it's not in, various foods that need filler, all junk food for sure, anything that has a unique flavor. Flavor enhancement is based on nanotech. They don't have to tell you it's in anything. And now they're making a whole medicine like this lockdown. I know one of the things behind it is that everybody's getting an experience of what it is to not be able to go to your doctor and not be able to go to your hospital or clinic to get a checkup. Now they're going to use the nanoparticles to be able to actually treat you at home through the nanoparticles in your body. That will be coming not too long in the future. As soon as they start checking to make sure that they're going to get a response from the nanotech that's in our bodies. To do that, they need this 5G system up. And that's why they've been working furiously during the lockdown to get more and more 5G implementation up and running. With the aerosol capability, anything could be dropped on us and we would breathe it in. They have to spray to keep the atmosphere ionized for their communication systems. And when I say communication, I'm not talking about, hi, Bob, how are you today? No, I'm talking about the ability to use wireless technology to transfer things via digital technology. 
And yes, you can do that with corona. You can do it with any virus or bacteria you have that has a signature, a particular unique signature. You can transfer it. That's true. That's not what's going on now. No, it would not look like this if it were the deadly militarily, the coronavirus 19, as I understand it, that was possibly made at a weapons lab. No, that's not going on. But what is going on is there's still spraying, but it is pretty much from my vantage point, and I follow behavior a lot, weather behavior. It's just business as usual to keep up the ionization of the atmosphere. That has to be there for all of the wireless operations they have in the making. Besides the test kits, which are dangerous, and as we're learning, absolutely unconclusive, there is the possibility that the vaccination is what they really want us to take. Obviously, they're not thinking they're going to corral all of us into hospitals to take it. And obviously, they're not going to have the brown shirts and the Stasi at our doors forcing us with needles. That's not going to happen. They can transfer things digitally now. That was my first thought when they wanted everybody to stay home. Either they don't have the proper tracking devices, and I don't own a cell phone. I'm absolutely opposed to them. They're a weapon system. I don't need to have one of those. I use a landline when I need to use a phone, and I have my computer, which is already compromising enough. My first thought was, wow, so they want us home, so they know where we are. Are they going to zap us with the virus? Are they going to zap us with the vaccine? Could be either, were my initial thoughts several weeks ago. I've decided about the virus, but I haven't decided about the vaccine. It's very possible it's already in us. I don't know. And I'm waiting to see. The books are available on Amazon, or you can contact the publisher directly at Feral House. To contact me, I have a website that my webmistress keeps going called ilanafreeland.com. And then I'm writing the third book, and I'll be done by fall, I hope, and it'll be out this year.